0: Smart Counsel is a production of New Pattern Counseling, with additional support from Multnomah University. To learn how to support this podcast, visit patreon.com smartcounsel. Rhys Basimio is a counselor, teacher, and writer, and the founder of New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon. His clinical specialties are addictions, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Smart Council. Great care and where to find it or not find it. <laughs> Smart Council <laughs> provides perspectives and resources on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I am Pasimio on a beautiful, bright springy Monday morning that I'm enjoying the beautiful morning from inside my office. That's a little bit sad, but that's okay because I get There's to be here everywhere. Yeah, um, I am delighted to be here with uh, Michelle Jones, wonderful uh, friend and colleague, and Michelle, thanks for, thanks for joining me on the show here.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Would you uh, tell the listener a little bit about who you are and what you do, and later we'll talk about what that has to do with counseling.
1: Okay. Well, I'm a pastor, and I work at Imago Day Community in Portland, Oregon and I oversee prayer and uh, global outreach as well as some formation.
0: Awesome. Yeah, so, so, you're, so you're a pastor and I'm a counselor and this is a kind of a counseling podcast. And so uh, this may raise an eyebrow somewhere and it's definitely the the deepest dive we've taken into the, the spirituality realm. But uh, I, I think it's relevant in that um, the spiritual dynamics are definitely a real part of people's lives and, and people understand that in a lot of different ways. Um, but it comes up often enough that, um, people are either in the church world, some sort of faith community world and eating care. And sometimes the, a referral to a counselor would be appropriate. And there's a lot of times in, in my world, in the counseling world, where, um, where, talking through depression trauma addiction stuff and then this spiritual dynamics come in or there the person has a relationship with a faith tradition or faith community and you know referrals might be appropriate there too and so there are I think there are a lot of similarities between our work uh, and some significant differences and some of that is kind of our target discussion today but as a starting point Michelle what do you think um off the top of your head, what is what does really good care look like for you?
1: Good care looks like a person who is freer to be who it is they were meant to be. It it always to me looks like a greater degree of freedom. And when I say freedom, I mean um, the ability to walk in who it is you are. A lot of times we'll hear people say that that we're 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 supposed to operate out of our woundedness, and I don't think that's true. I think that we operate out of healing, and we operate out of um, out of our scars. But wounds are a different story. And so, for me, um, health looks like like a greater degree of freedom. You find somebody with you know with a big wound in their leg or something, you kind of don't want that person walking around. You know, but I have, when I was three years old, I fell out of a tree and I got 24 stitches in my leg and I have a scar in my leg and a story about that scar, but I don't have trouble walking. You know, in fact, I've been able to grow and, and walk with that scar.
0: That's a really great, um, it's a really great image of what health and thriving could, could look like. Not that there hasn't been pain or that there isn't pain, but that, Movement and relationships are are not impeded. Um, yeah, I think it, I think I might I might say something similar on my end. Like good care leading to good health looks like a person being able to be unhindered in their life and and fully fully present. A recovery definition we throw out a lot is being able to to fully embrace your reality, uh, no, no matter what it is. And, um, yeah, and that there's, there's a lot of wounds in, inherent in that process, but not necessarily like an active, like I'm, I'm bleeding right now.
1: And for me, the word would be truth. Being able to fully embrace the truth.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, thinking, thinking through some, uh, some of our own experiences, I know, what was it, what's been a time in your life when you did have a need for, for great care or some some significant support from from a person and um, I don't know what 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 happened with that like were you able to get it or were you not able to get it and and what happened
1: you know it's it's funny because I didn't really know that I needed the care you know I was just kind of having a conversation with somebody and fortunately he was he was he was observant enough to be able to to kind of you have to do kind of kind of two way listening when you're doing you know any kind of spiritual direction or you know or spiritual counseling you kind of have to listen to the person but you also have to listen you know you kind of have to listen to god and say well what are you hearing as opposed to what are just the words coming out of that person's mouth so for me in that particular time we were talking about my dad and i remember saying to him you know just how difficult it was to have a dad who was like my dad in a lot of ways and i remember getting really upset and wondering in that moment where where was god in that why would he why would he let this you know six or seven year old kid have to stand in the face of this person who was so mean and so uh, verbally abusive and and just unkind and his answer was, where would you have wanted him to be? And I remembered saying, I would have wanted him to be in the middle of us, where the things that my dad said to me wouldn't hurt me so much. And then I would have wanted him to turn around and tell me the things that a father should say, so that the things that my dad was saying, they wouldn't you know i would hear what i should hear and so as soon as he as soon as i said that i just kind of had this experience cuz the the pastor was really quiet and i could hear in my insides you know that jesus was saying that's exactly where i was because with most kids the thing that your parents tell you is the thing you take in and it's the thing that you believe and He said the things that my dad said that day, I don't believe to this day. And I remember that day, it was my one of the things was my dad was telling me that I was stupid. And because I didn't understand my work, they didn't understand my math. And I remembered just screaming at him. It was the one time that I yelled at him and talked back to him. And I just yelled at him and said, this is fifth grade math, and I'm in the third grade. It's supposed to be hard. And I just screamed. And in that moment with that pastor, Jesus said, you know, seven-year-olds don't know how to say that. You know, they, I gave that to you to say. I gave that truth to you. And then that gave me the freedom to be able to say that. And not just to say it, but to walk in it after that but I wouldn't have gotten to that place if that pastor hadn't asked that question. And I don't think he would have asked that question if he hadn't been listening on, on more than one level.
0: I think so. That's a really beautiful story. And um, I mean, both an amazing story of what what you, what you went through and what you had to, what you had to figure out then too. But, um, but I'm also imagining this moment of here's, here's, here's this guy who this, this pastoral figure who, who knows you? Who's who's walking with you? And um, and imagine there there is a degree of uh, divine inspiration for for sure. But also like in the context of like he knows Michelle, he knows your life, he you know and was maybe prepared through the context of the relationship to be able to ask a pointed question and and being able to be very attuned in the moment. Uh, it sounds like yeah, a very a very very well delivered moment there.
1: It's a question I ask now often. You know, if I if I'm struggling with something, one of my first questions is where are you in this? Where were you in this? And sometimes I don't get an answer, but sometimes I do. And sometimes I encourage other people to ask the same question. Where where were you in this place? And there's a there's a a tenderness with which he approaches us in answering a question like that.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. Some of that that imagery of uh, being able to ask, you know, where where are you? Where were you, you know, re revisiting to to re- reimagine, renegotiate a, a painful experience. There's there there are a lot of similar components in an approach like that to some some of the clinical approaches we use too. I'm thinking like like story informed trauma therapy, some narrative therapy, even some some somatic work. Um, it's a lot about working with uh we'd say not just working with with the memory but working with how you experience the memory and uh, yeah and can lead to some really huge breakthroughs like that i was thinking through uh through through my life of a couple of times when when i was was in need of some some different care too and um one of the times that came to mind was or you know early 20s where you know it's supporting me I'm like a guy in the early 20s figuring out you know sex sexuality life love yeah <laughs> just figuring out everything and i didn't know what to believe And I remember I remember receiving input definitely from from a lot of sources and some of it helpful, some not so helpful. And I think in that moment, I ended up finding the most help from from my friends and from from my counselor at the time. And that particular story wasn't one of the stories where I received great help from from the church at that time. At that time, um, I was, you know, questioning sexuality and trying to figure everything out and kind of the. The best they could do at the time was to say we can't help you, and um, maybe you're better off, you know, going somewhere else. And uh, yeah. which was devastating. But but then I did, and then I ended up um, working with a uh, with a with a counselor who was able to allow me to have my questions and allow me to have my experience and um, allow me the space. Uh, you know, we, we 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 brought up questions. You know i think uh, a good good helper is someone who can both ask the right question and ask the bold daring questions as well as allow the person being helped to also ask the brazen scary ugly questions and and i'd never had that before and to be able to be told oh yeah it's okay for you to have your feelings it's okay for you to be angry at your parents it's okay for you to not be sure if God is actually good. And, uh, you know, and how's that, how's how's your body feeling with that, by the way? So at at the time, that was really groundbreaking for me. And, um, and I've had great experiences with, with receiving care since then, and, um, been able to find support in a lot of ways, but that was, that was one of the first really pivotal experiences for me.
1: I think one of the things that the church has learned from the counseling profession that, Quite honestly I think I think we should have known before but we had to learn it even though it was sitting right there for us is that people are not problems problems are things to be fixed people are people to be loved and so I think that when people come to when people come to counseling sometimes there are problems that need to be fixed but it's never the person if that makes any sense the person is never the problem because it's 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 the experiences that they've had the the challenges that they've had trying to understand the the, the issues or you know just kind of how they interpret things when they come to a church they're never a problem <laughs> it's like and the the first order of business the last order of business and every order of business in between is how do you love this person? How do you serve this person? How do you love this person? How do you how do you care for this person who's in this place? And so that pastor did that for me. He cared for me. And so his questions were all about how to care for me and how to properly care for me. Somebody comes and says, I'm struggling with this. The this might be a problem. The person is not a problem. And so too often the church has been guilty of trying to fix people. And when they can't fix people, which you never can, when you can't fix a person, then you send them away and say, Well, you need you need somebody else, you know, or you don't belong here. And if we can't offer what we offer is a gift of love, a gift of belonging. And if we cannot offer belonging, we're not doing our job. We're, we're just not doing our job. That's not your job. You know, it's like somebody comes to you to give them the gift of belonging is not uppermost in your mind. You have, you have things you have to look at and and grids you have to, to honor and, you know, all of those things. We, we have certain ways that certain questions you have to ask, certain ways that you do things. But ultimately, it is about giving that person the gift of belonging and letting them know that they belong.
0: That's so huge and such an important gift. How did how did you say that people are not problems to be fixed, but um... people
1: are not they're they're people to be loved. They're persons, their sons and or daughters to be loved. Yes, that's that's. That's what people are. And I remember just, in fact, this past week, just being stuck at home has been really like, it's been eye-opening, but it's been disturbing just trying to actually look at that because I have been seeing myself as a problem to be solved. Because we look at ourselves and we think self-improvement and we, we start to try and figure out, well, what are some of the things that I need to improve? I need to improve this or this or this. But I, I heard a poet, his name is David White, and one of the things he said was, um, and, and he's just he's just a very regal poet, And I was listening to him lecture and he said, he said, some of you, some of you, if you spoke to others the way you speak to yourselves in the mirror, you would never have another friend. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's so right. If I spoke to other people the way I speak to myself, even when I think I'm doing myself a favor like, let me tell you what you need to fix. You need to fix this. Your hair doesn't look quite right or this or that. If I spoke to other people with the words that I use when I look at myself in the mirror because I often don't look at myself in the mirror and go, "You're awesome. you're amazing. I don't do that. so <laughs> if I spoke to people the way I speak to myself in the mirror, I would never have another friend. and so i I kind of dug into that. I leaned into that and said, "Well, is that true?" And, and it is true because what I realized was that I treat myself like a problem to be solved, a a thing to be fixed. Somebody said of me once that I was complex and it hurt my feelings because I thought, oh man, that, you know, and and I, I went to a friend of mine and I asked him and I said, so am I complex? And he said, yeah, you are. And he goes, but I don't mean what you think I mean when I say you're complex. And I said, okay. He said, what you think I mean is that you are a problem and a lot of problems and you are unsolvable. Mm. He said, what I say, what I mean when I say that you are complex is that you, like all people, are a garden with many different types of things that need to be watered.
0: Cool. I like that image.
1: Right? Yeah. And I was like, this is why you are my friend. <laughs> because you say stuff like that. And I thought, he's, he's right. There are lots of different ways that you deal with people. And it is what love looks like. It is taking each of those things and saying, okay, in this situation, like, you know, if somebody says to you, um, I don't want to make you feel like, you know, like you're less than when I say this. And I've learned to be able to say, if it's the case, I've learned to be able to say, well, yeah, that does make me feel less than, but it's not your fault. That's some daddy stuff I got from a long time ago, or that's some some kid stuff that I carry around with me. So I need to be um, open and transparent with you and say, yes, that does make me feel that way, but that is not your problem to fix. That is just a fact of my personality. And, and I walk through life with that scar. But to be transparent and say that, I'm learning to do that and, and learning to try and figure out where things come from and what's the difference between a scar and a wound.
0: Right. You're learning how to know yourself and to, to speak for yourself and to describe, define when this is going on between me and this person this is what it is. This is its name. It's it's this kind of reaction. It's this kind of instincts or this kind of old trauma wounds. And, uh, and and I love that, that interplay, there's there's a little bit of like an internal family systems component there of like being able to recognize, um, yeah, you're doing this thing and and I'm responding to that, but I'm responding to that kind of of my own volition with my own inner material. And yeah, I mean, you can definitely be responsible for what you say, but, but I'm responsible for how I respond. And yeah. You know, imagine coming to that place of insight and that place of, you know, meta-awareness. I mean, that's, you know, we have to work really hard to get to a place like that.
1: Well, now that person knows me a little better. Yeah. they know now that that is something that gets, that gets triggered. For sure. When, when I'm in a certain situation. Now, if I'm not honest and I don't say anything about that and I don't mention that to that person, then... What happens when it happens again and again and again? And all that pain just keeps building up. And then I begin to say, well, I don't want to be around this person because they don't make me feel good. And it's just like, yeah, but I wasn't transparent about what this was actually triggering. And so what we do is we, we kind of avoid people because, because we feel the pain as if somehow they are hurting us as opposed to we are hurting.
0: I love this idea of how uh, uh, when talking about how to deliver great care and there, you know you started with this really powerful notion that people people are not problems to be fixed, but they're 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 people to be loved. and and to do that really means loving their whole person, loving their whole life and getting getting into their life. And that's I, I would say that's actually something I, I think that the counseling field is starting to is has been learning as well. And in some parts, I think this is an area where we're often, Churches have succeeded in some ways, or at least they—they they definitely have the potential to. Uh, within the counseling world, the um, one one form of therapy we call it the—you know—the brief solutions-focused therapy, or there's the behavioral therapies, uh, and a lot of addictions therapy can certain certainly be very behavior-oriented. And um, and because we we use the the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, and we have to deliver a diagnosis, especially for reimbursement, um, we have to use. We fall into the, the Western medical model of, well, if there's a problem. We could, we've got to fix the problem. And as soon as the problem, as soon as the symptoms are fixed, then we're done. We can wash our hands of it. And it can be very transactional and very uh, impersonal in a sense, For as, which is weird to say for a very personal relational field. I've been delighted to see that there's some other trends and pushback saying no holistic care, integrated care, wraparound care. Let's care for the whole person. Let's care, and we have to remember: there's the underlying factors, there's the systemic factors, there's the family system. There, there's all of these things, and um, I think it's it's no longer enough for the the professional to show up with a diagnostic and a treatment intervention. Yeah. I think the 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 trend the, the the demand is that no, when a when a client comes in, that they need to be greeted by a human who's willing to be human with them. And who's maybe even willing to share like, Yeah, here's some of my own life and perspective. And here's how I experience you in the moment. And um, regrettably, I think, and I think this is where where maybe um, counseling work reaches its limit and, and and, uh, pastoral work can really thrive is that, um, you know, I see, I see a person, you know, an hour a week, maybe three hours, if they also come to group. And there are there are a lot of structures that just say, no, it kind of has to be that be that way, you know, especially for people with like really high caseloads. I mean, they couldn't like be sharing, sharing really in-depth life with like 60 people all of the time. But um, but in in a pastoral setting, in a more communal setting, you can have a lot more just like like the intermittent, daily, ongoing, casual contact, more of the whole context
1: contact. And not just that, but it is this big, huge there, I think um where i think the church is most beneficial is in saying i'm not requiring you to be acceptable in order for me to accept you we are people who understand that we are accepted and so we give the gift of that acceptance to others you know whether or not you are free whether or not you're perfect whether or not you're fixed or done or walking in your reality or walking in your truth or any of that. And, and what that does is that, that puts, that puts truth on a trajectory, you know, or trust, excuse me, on a trajectory like that. Because what happens is if I know, if I know that you're not going to leave me because I'm a mess, then I trust you more than I do if, if you're waiting for me to become something in order for you to embrace me.
0: I, I love how you put that. Like, I like, I don't, I don't need you to be acceptable in order for me to be in a relationship with you. Yeah. Um, that feels like the gold standard of relationships in general. And I, I just, I want that for, for so many people. And I feel like that might be both like, like the best and the worst aspect of counseling altogether. And that when that's not available in a person's organic life, that's where that's where someone like me would come in and say, Yeah, and that's, that's my job. It's my job to be in relationship with you in unconditional positive regard with you and to attune to you and to highly value you, you know, in, in kind of a kind of a neutral and optimistic sort of way. So that, that would be a strength, you know, I don't have anything invested in your life. I, I become invested in your life, but, but, um, but I don't have any pre existing context to say, no, I'm going to have a problem with you, which can be the best part. And kind of the worst part is that, you know, they, they have to pay me for that. Um, and it's, 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 it's time limited and. Uh,
1: but there's safety in you.
0: There, that, there is.
1: That there isn't necessarily, we're not always safe. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that that real life is messy and 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 the strength of a relationship is not in the fact that nobody messes up, nobody says a thing that's wrong. It is in things like forgiveness and grace. And grace is not for people who don't screw up. Grace is for people who do screw up. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, right. the fact that you have forgiveness, it's for people who who blew it. And you need to be able to give them, you know, you know, give them that forgiveness and that grace. But I think that there is a, there is a an expectation of safety with you that isn't necessarily there in the in the mystery that is belonging and relationship, because it's when you're when you're working with that person, they don't expect to walk in and have you just go. You know, oh ooh, shouldn't have said that about you. You know, hey, will you forgive me? <laughs> right, kind of, right, right. That doesn't happen. And I think that that it's important to have places like that where there is a, a an expectation of safety, where there isn't necessarily an expectation of safety in community, because we're all a bit of a mess and we're all gonna make mistakes and Screw up and say the wrong thing and trigger some other stuff because of things we don't know about people and sometimes because of things we do know, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it's it's a lot messier. It's a yeah. Lot messier.
0: Yeah. So in that sense, that that is something that that I can offer is there, there there's a structure and it's 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 well defined, it's bullet pointed, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of t- typically known that oh yeah, when I wanna go into a counselor's office. I sign the confidentiality paperwork. I sign the group agreements. Uh, i I know that there's a structure. and and it's absolutely not a structure that is limited to this context. Other groups, churches can can learn it and can use it, but they don't always. And so there, yeah, there there is that particular offering that that the clinic can, can offer. What would you say are some other uh, unique offerings to a person's healing that 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 the church can make? I mean, I'm thinking of all of like the theological offerings and those are very real, but but even in just like procedurally and uh, in, in daily function, what are some of the unique church offerings?
1: Um, I do think that when it comes to things like forgiving somebody and counseling somebody and walking with a couple through their marriage and really teaching what it means to love, I think that when it comes to counseling you're you're working more on helping this person be if that makes sense helping them be in the world we're helping them more how to love in the world which is which is a little different you know because it's 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 impossible to love without there being other people you know to to function with and to deal with and to care for and to serve. And then to help a person to go back to this, this place where they understand the, the ultimate love that they have, the ultimate place that they have in this world, the, the, the God who adores them and loves them and to actually open them up to, to living in that mystery. And so there's, there's an invitation that, that, is there every day for that person to be able to walk into and be changed by. So it's the difference between a problem and a mystery. We think that mysteries are there to be solved, but they're actually there for us to enter them and to be changed by them. And so life is that, and life in community is that, and God is that. Mm. And so it's this this hand-holding and we're we're walking with you into your tomorrow, into your future. And I think, I think that it's always there. It's always there, yeah. and it always has this part to it that is outside of all of us.
0: Yeah, life life is being impacted. Life is being impacted by mysteries, like hand in hand with each other. And I love that idea that that idea of of, of the mysteries, the sacraments, and just. And in, in one sense, being invited into this zone, this realm where we we know we don't know everything, and that's okay, and maybe it's even better that way. And in the not knowing, there's still safety, there's still security in relationship. And, uh, and also, I think in the, non, in the not knowing, there's this acknowledgement that there's many ways of knowing and, you know, some of them were, we're good at some of them are not so good at. That's really great. Uh, I'm thinking, um, thinking unique clinical offerings. uh, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is just like, you know, we we talk about the brain a lot, like, you know, because we can use fancy terms like neurotransmitters and dopamine, uh, and uh, (laughs) trauma reenactment and things. It's a way of knowing it's it's a very cognitive intellectual evidence based way of knowing and it's useful. Uh, I mean, I think it's useful to know, hey, yeah, when you're having uh, an addictive impulse, like this is what's going on in your brain. And this is what is driving it from childhood and everything. Um, and being able to put labels on that, it can, can be helpful. Um, yeah, it
1: can be incredibly helpful when you are, uh, I I work with a, a friend of mine at Oregon State Penitentiary and we work with some of these guys who are, we, we're doing these workshops and I'm just kind of like giving them kind of an overview of trauma and how that affects your life. And, and I am amazed at how the light bulbs go on when they see those those labels and those words for the things that like when some guy snapped and he's in prison because he snapped one day and he killed a guy and so he's there and you're having this conversation with him about his amygdala and how it can just kind of hijack everything and and just start talking to them about exercises breathing exercises that kind of put the you know put the other parts of your brain into operation so that so that you don't just like go you know off on a person or talking to them about the effects of childhood trauma on adulthood and things like that and the light bulbs that go on and they just kind of go yes because what it what it does is it tells them i'm seen i'm seen and there's a there's a There's a need that all human beings have to be seen and to be known and to be loved and understood. And so you have this population of people who we give ourselves permission to forget about. And so you visit them, but then you see them and then you teach them how to see themselves, see one another. Um, You teach them You know, and here I am, like they know I'm a pastor, but I'm not there in that capacity. So we're talking about forgiveness and we're talking about all of these things that were inconceivable until they understood that there are physical things going on in their brains that, you know, that that can account for a lot of the stuff that they didn't know before.
0: For sure. We do have these deep needs to be to be seen and to be known. And I would add, too, to know that I'm not a freak because I'm having this experience and I'm not cursed. Uh, there's actually a reasonable kind of rational explanation with solutions for it. Uh, and granted, I, I might still be, be kind of broken and it might still be like a whole lot of work to, to get out of it. But but there is a way and yeah. it can be done. People have done it. People do it.
1: And to just get the explanation, sometimes just to get the Oh, all right. <laughs> okay, I, I get it now. I get it. One one guy said he felt like he was. What did he call himself? Um, he 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 called himself. I want to say he called himself a curse, and but but he said it in such a matter of fact way, and I I was like, no 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 no, back up back up back up. <laughs> And, and we dug into that place. We dug into that place and talked about those things. And it was it was really helpful for him to know that's not who I am. That's not who I am. You are not the worst decision you've ever made in your life. You are not the biggest mistake you ever made. You are not, again, you are not a problem to be solved. You are a human being to be loved.
0: Right. I wanna, so, so talking about, uh, like identity, I want I want to use that as a segue into uh, another another thread, kind of talking about uh, what are what are limitations of our different realms, and in particular, I suppose, what sorts of situations, what sorts of presenting problems uh, make make us nervous and maybe feel a little out of our element, and like, hey, maybe I should get some help. What one of the ones you just brought up, you know, having to do with identity. Uh, I mean, I get a lot of people coming through who that's that's the core of, it's one of the cores of what they're working through is they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're about. They don't know what to do with their lives. And I, you know, me personally being, being a person of faith, I know, okay, I, I know my, my faith tradition could offer some answers for that. And I, and I don't always, because I can't. But even for people of faith, like even knowing things like, uh, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, knowing um, that Jesus died on the cross doesn't necessarily make me go, oh, so- right exactly.
0: <laughs> right no oh my gosh so so there's this there's this meme um out there so so there one um kind of uh botched up version of christianity that gets presented it's like the VeggieTales tales version where it's like oh yeah god god loves you and has a very very beautiful plan for your life and it's like that cap that phrase captioning an image of like you know Second-century Christians who are in the arena about to be eaten by lions, uh, and it's like, yes, God has a wonderful plan for you, martyrdom.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you are <win for> lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, tangent. Um, all that to say, so uh, identity things; th- those are huge. And um, for for me within the the counseling world with my with my skill set, what what I can do is I can say, okay, you have these big questions. I'm gonna make a space for you to comfortably for me to and you to comfortably be together in those questions and give you as much time as you need to to kind of stew over them and you know we could talk about values and some things and, and all that but ultimately in a, in a counseling context i don't have any sure answers to offer a person at their ba- i basically have to say okay i'm with you go find your answer somewhere whereas i feel like within a faith tradition um you can actually speak to that. You can actually offer something solid and tangible. Uh, you know, maybe the person will take it. Maybe they won't. But, but you have you seems like you have something more solid to offer. So, I, I would venture to say that's one of the limits to uh, the clinical world is when we get into the very very deep interpersonal realm, the the intrapersonal realm, I think, um, the whole existential reality. Like, what is life about? What do I do with suffering? And is there any hope? And yeah, the most I can do is to say, I'm here with you and I'm not afraid of you.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think that we we have that. And and I think it's also important not to Offer that up too quickly as if it is, hey, well, you know, you've got a problem. Here's your solution. It's you, you really do have to ask those those two questions or know at least know the answer to those two questions. What are you afraid of and where does it hurt? You know, it's it's because if you don't know the answer to those questions, then offering up Jesus to somebody who says, you know. Yeah, but I I was abused as a child and where was that Jesus then? You say he loves me. That doesn't look like love. You know, and so you really do have to listen to people and know exactly where they are and and know kind of know what they believe. You know, it's it's sometimes it's difficult when you're when you're even praying for somebody and you're and you're calling him father and they have a very different experience of father. It took me years to say, I mean, I literally said to God in prayer, I don't get this whole father thing with you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I never see you like that. I don't know. But that's what other people call you. That's what Jesus calls you. So you're going to have to make that real for me. You're going to have to make that real in me. And it took years, but he did it. And when he did it, it was right at the point where I was equipped and able to forgive my Earthly father, and how I did not make the connection between, you know, this is why you can't see him as father because you know he's good, and you have this father who you don't see as good or kind or loving, and so your understanding of father is A, B, C, D, you know, and he is this, 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 and I had to, I, I don't know why I didn't know this other than I just wasn't able to know it on my insides, but that whenever there's a difference between who God is and who man is, God's right. (laughs) And so, you know, so he's not not a father. He's just not a good father, (laughs) you know, but I had to get to that point where it was just like, yeah, but he did the best he could with what he had too. But I had to. It wasn't until I got to that place of seeing God as Father that I could see Him with any kind of compassion or forgiveness.
0: And what you're talking about there too is that you you had a journey to go on to to get there. And even if there was a um, air quote solution that was waiting there for you, it, it was inaccessible until you had gone through all of this other journey and reflection and question and um, and the 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 wise counselor the wise spiritual director you know with a wise pastor in your life would allow you to go on that to be with you in that and until so you can get there and and i would say the same for me too you know coming to places of being able to offer forgiveness to be able to uh you know offer fidelity in my relationships to be able to not be so angry all of the time you know there's i mean there's around some technical sense, like simple, but you know, I can't grasp those until I also go through a bunch of other stuff and learn a lot of other things.
1: And learn a lot of other language, you know, like the, the anger, for example, it, it ceases to be like an indication that there's something wrong with me. And it becomes this, this thing where it's like, now anger becomes an invitation to actually see myself you know it's it's if a thing makes me angry i now have this kind of click in my brain it's like i'm angry oh what's the invitation as opposed to i'm angry there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with me but it it stops being a problem to be solved it becomes a mystery to enter and so when i see the anger and i don't know where it's coming from or i see the confusion or i see the fear or i see the thing if it's an emotion it becomes an invitation into further to to walk further into the mystery of it all
0: i am loving this language of entering into mystery it's uh, and again it's me as a me as a person me as, a, as an orthodox christian we talk a lot about mystery and about this this process of salvation and we just we enter into it and it's it's a very active very process oriented experience and that feels a lot more accessible in in, in a church setting uh, in, in a healthy church setting where A person can can be there or not be there. They can be really involved. or not so involved. They can work at their own pace. They can work at it it for their whole lives. And
1: And you have to accept a mystery. So if I'm, when I look at, like, here's my challenge this week that I gave myself this week was to actually take every area in my life that I have called a problem or something that needs to be fixed and change it to what if it's a mystery? that I need to enter into it and receive it and see it and understand it and, and accept the invitation of it. I don't know if that's going to work for everything, but it, it immediately made me way more accepting of myself as I looked at it because I'm, I'm, something in me was saying, if I can fix this, I become more acceptable. If I can fix this, I become a better person. If I can fix this, then I'm I'm kinder, or I'm this or I'm thater, and then therefore I will be more lovable.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of ideas in uh, in again in, in somatic experiencing, somatic theories, and like the, like the acceptance commitment therapies. Some some of the cognitive and body oriented therapies that recognize um, I'll have a thought or a feeling or a memory or an urge, um, and And that that will be in me with its own experience. But then where the problem comes in is I have this secondary reaction to the urge. And it's essentially a part of myself that becomes in conflict with another part of myself saying, no, I need to judge this. I need to suppress it. I need to condemn it. And that distress is what causes the anxiety and the depression and the the obsession. And so uh, I love what you're talking about of reframing that relationship and allowing that Maybe I don't need to pronounce a judgment on this aspect of myself. Maybe I can just allow it to be, be curious about it, be peaceable toward it. I've
1: been looking at all the all of the names that that God uses for himself. And I realized that almost all of his names, they're like problem-solving names. They're names that solve problems. And so there's, there's God my peace. There is, he is our healer, he is our provider, he is our banner, he is our rest, he's all of these amazing things. And I look at that and I go, so he's actually the problem solver. You know, it's like, so, so I'm trying to do his job in trying to solve all the problems. That's not to say that I'm not supposed to care about what's going on in my life, but it is to say that I am not called to somehow judge myself as I walk through this, but I'm supposed to kind of respond to him as I walk through this. And so it just it becomes it it just becomes a different thing for me. It's so so far. Yeah. We'll see we'll see how it goes. We'll see, we'll see how right. how much I'll,
0: time I spend I wanted to learn a lot more about this. Yeah. I would wonder too. um from from your perspective as as a pastor in in church context, I suppose, what do you see what kind of helping situation makes you nervous, and what do you see are your limitations and kind of kind of leading into like how could someone like me help someone like you?
1: I think that when people come in with major trauma and an absolute refusal to it's almost like that there's there's an insistence that you simply you you simply accept it that that they're clearly struggling with some trauma and some some problems and some issues and they've made a decision that the way they handle it the way they see it is truth and it's clear that that's not truth it's clear that it's it's um it's antithetical to to the word they Don't want to see the the reason of that, because there's certain things that are just that that just are. So you know, well, I think God is telling me this. I I get nervous when people come and they say, "Well, I think God is telling me this," and it's a thing that it would be like, "Yeah, I don't think God's telling you to do that." (laughs) (laughs) But you but you really want to honor you want to honor them as a person, and you want to honor you know that that they're being driven by something that is clearly not godly and not scriptural but at the same time and you know that they really do need some counseling to be able to put some put some framework around what it is they're experiencing and what they did experience and and things like that that makes me nervous i think people who clearly need some some understanding of what's driving them because they can't see it they can't see that there's something driving them other than other than just something that's reasonable. You know, or there, there's a whole bunch of hurting and in pain people in their wake. And you have to figure out how do I, how do I love this person well and love the people that they're hurting well? Because it's, it's all, it's both and. It's not, this is not my client you know and so it becomes a it becomes a challenge when you you have like all of that and you have this person who's clearly being driven by some some things that are that are better dealt with in a in a counseling context by themselves mm-hmm. and everybody else is the problem everybody else is the is the issue
0: yeah in that case, maybe maybe retreating to, to a more a more sterile environment. I mean, I'm using that word kinda I of, kinda of brusquely, but yeah, it's this kind of yeah, sterile professional environment where I mean it's a person who like, you know, doesn't have to share life with you. They don't have anything invested in you, deciding one thing or, or another. And I mean, theoretically their insights are backed by like study and specialized study and, and everything. And and I definitely wanna I'll be the first to say that I mean, counselors do not have like well, we shouldn't assume an inherent authority. I mean, I think that gets ascribed to us because we have like the professional label, but but there's a sense where too, I mean, we have the professional label and some for some people, that's really meaningful and can for some people, well, for some people, that's terrifying for other people that can carry a degree of credibility. Michelle, what would you say? Uh, so, so if you're talking to a person who's definitely needing care, wanting care, and they're They have access to both the faith community spiritual director as well as uh clinical resources um but they they can't decide uh which one they want to pursue um uh i suppose well what are some things you'd have them to consider to say hey this is more of a uh, go to your pastor sort of issue or this is more of a go to your counselor sort of issue
1: oh gosh um well the first thing i think would be prayer you know i would pray with that person and i would listen you know listen to them but also listen to the spirit and then i think i would want to know from them what they see as as help because sometimes you find what they need in in what they say oftentimes you find that so if i if i want to know like what is your best picture of what you want to see happen then that helps to put us on a path Yeah. I think, you know, the the first question I often ask when somebody comes to the doors for prayer on a Sunday is, you know, how can I pray for you? And what would you like God to do for you? And that's helpful because if they can answer that question and they see that, you know, that the struggle is I'm, I'm having, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble trusting God I don't send them to you for that, you know. Right. We walk through that. If the if the issue is I'm really struggling with some abuse I had as a child, and I'm having a problem trusting God because I don't believe that God should have let me go through that. That's a different path. That's a different path because this is a person who is telling me I have God has no credibility with me. I need to make sense of. How this trauma has affected me and how it's driving my life. So that's a that's a different it's a different path and it's a different way to go. So I think the the big thing is to to know that both things are available. I'm not going anywhere, you know. Right. <laughs> so so it becomes a, a thing where where I pray and if I really do feel like they need counseling, I'm still here. We need to find you some help. be able to to kind of see this and look through this.
0: I hear that and I think as I was asking the question I was hearing part of the flaw of the question like assuming it has to be one or the other exclusively uh I mean my idea would always be to have a person connected to as many supports as they can all of the time Mm -hmm. so I mean if they have access to both you and me I'd say yes (laughs) have coffee with both of us uh but uh yeah no no I I like that distinction of um you know I'm having problems trusting god it's it's a fairly spiritual oriented spiritual journey sort of question and that i don't necessarily have theological training theological expertise for that um nor do i have the the structure to allow me to walk with the person for decades as they learn that uh, kind of a similar thing with, with forgiveness like i i can say here's a definition of forgiveness here's a book about it here's some concepts to think about but to take 40 years to grow in forgiveness for a parent figure who abused them. Like, I mean, I don't really want you to be paying me that much for 40 years. But uh, but with some more specialized things like Yeah, it's my trust issues in God are because there's been abuse. Uh, I do have a little bit more training around that. Or, or in a lot of cases, too, I would say, um, with something like, like addictive behaviors, compulsive behaviors, um, that this is changing. Uh, as I think a lot of churches are learning more about this, but there, there were there have been times when I say, no, I want someone like that to come to me because I'm not going to tell them right away that they're just sinning and just need to repent um, because you can't just quit addictions usually. Uh, I, I would want to say, let me give you the space and the time to really understand this, understand what's going on. And we'll like look at it from a whole person perspective. And then when you get stable and now you have to figure out, okay, now that I've cleared away these toxins from my life and I need to orient my life around something that will be compelling for the rest of my life, then I'd say, okay, now go talk to your pastor because you need to have a thriving intimate relationship with your higher power. And and again, I don't have the, the training for that. I don't have like the structure for that. Like, you know, you shouldn't have to like <laughs> use insurance to find your relationship with God.
1: Well, the other thing too, I mean, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes, Not often, but sometimes it's as clear as seeing the difference between a person who needs help with their behavior and somebody who needs help with their belief. You know, somebody who needs help to believe more, help to believe in a way that will, you know, that will, like, I I can't do this thing because of a belief issue versus, I just can't do this thing. I don't, un- I keep doing this thing and I don't understand why I keep doing it. That, that person I send to you. And like I said, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> it's like, you know, sure. let's just checking in and let's ask, let's ask God to give you wisdom. You know, while, you know, let's ask God to give the counselors wisdom, the doctor's wisdom. Let's ask the great physician to actually be able to, to, to touch on some things. Because that's another thing that's, that, that I love about God is that he will, he will do some things outside of what you and I can do. And he'll show that person some ways that they will know, oh my gosh, he's there. You know, it's it's the it's the question that my friend asked me. Where would you have wanted, you know, Jesus to be? Instead of saying, "Well, of course, Jesus was there; he's everywhere," you know, it's like <laughs> read everywhere you go, you know. Instead of saying that, he's like, "Where do you want him to be?" And then when I said that, then in that moment, it was me and me and Jesus having this moment together, with him saying that, and then me going, "Ah, oh, he couldn't have done that. A Counselor couldn't have done that. Jesus did that yeah. thing, and he." He's outside of it all.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, if a person is needing to encounter those like epiphany moments, uh, and again, I, I believe that those happen and that they can be useful. And I don't really have the means to, to construct them in like 55 minutes. Yeah. Right, they just have to happen. Um, but but I hear that where it, where it becomes an issue. Yeah, there's a way I, c- I can address like behaviors and underlying causes. Okay, uh, and but if it becomes a question of belief, uh, it becomes out of my realm, like especially, and then this has happened once where the, there were, there was presence of childhood trauma, a lot of attachment trauma, and, and a lot of compulsive behaviors. Those I could talk about, but at one point, it actually very specifically became my my specific theological beliefs about God are impairing my my practice, and there the it was a very specific form of theology that was interfering with a healthy attachment to God, and at that point. I felt a little out of my element because it feels like okay, this might need to be a theological debate. Which a I've never liked theological debates. Also, I'm not really good at debating. <laughs> and again, you know, it, we've got you know 55 minutes and and your dollar, and that doesn't feel good. I would say like one of the other differences to consider too is again kind of what what our contexts are too. Um, I would like for counseling to move away from the the strictly medical model where it's very problem oriented, but the reality is. That's where it's at right now. So there's a way that um, my work is geared toward helping people out of crisis, helping people out of problems, helping people out of mass chaos into a period of more stability. And and on one sense, once the person is stable and well connected, then they've outgrown me for for what my function is. Depending on how you understand a counselor's function, what I see in as an offering of a, the pastor of the pastor in the church is you know you can know a person in peacetime. You can know a person in stability, and the person never needs to be in crisis to, to 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 receive care from you, because again, it's it can it's that that whole life whole lifelong sort of care uh, that doesn't need there to be crisis or problems, but it can just be very much uh, let's build a foundation, and see what we can build, and that it's it's harder to do that in my context.
1: Yeah, that's true. At a certain point, like you said, your 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 work is done you know, but, but God is unsearchable. So it's, you know, in what we do, it's like, here, give me your hand. We're walking into mystery. That is the heart of God. That's eternity. Right. (laughs) That's eternity. Right. And
0: I'm pretty sure insurance doesn't cover that. So (laughs) well, Michelle, thanks so much for, um, for being here to, to talk and explore some of these things and to hopefully for sure, start a conversation. Uh, imagine, there, we maybe raise more questions than we've answered, and there, there's a lot more we could say about about a lot of these things, and yeah. maybe we will sometime.
1: But um, it's a lot of comfort too. Yeah, I think people know if people know they have permission to simply be who they are, and to you know, I mean, I I don't I don't think there's anything more valuable than that.
0: Yeah, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Michelle, if a person wanted to reach out to you to to know more, just to get to know you better, to know Imago Day better, or to to just to talk to receive care, uh, where can a person find you on the webs and in the world?
1: Well, uh, Imago Day is uh, idcpdx.com. And once you get to that website, you can find pretty much anybody on staff, myself included. If you feel you want prayer and you want it, you know, want somebody to call you or you want somebody to just kind of spend a little time with you, especially in this, in this very isolated, you know, time in history that we live in, then you can always just, you know, just, we've got a form that you can fill out and have somebody contact you. And yeah, so... I I always tell people I'm the easiest person at Imago Day to reach because I'm, my initials are MJ, which one of our guys here says those are the coolest initials ever, and I'm convinced that Michael Jordan stole them from me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mj at idcpdx.com is find me directly.
0: Okay, mj at idcpdx.com for Pastor Michelle Jones at Imago Day Church in Southeast Portland sometime soon we'll all be back in person at southeast portland <laughs> so no.
1: oh. i am i am just jonesing for some some hugs and some hallelujahs
0: yeah all right well may, may it may be soon yeah um all right well thanks michelle for being here thanks listener for tracking along with us uh feel free to reach out to either of us if you have comments questions disagreements or or have been triggered by something we've said we'd love to support you through that And let's keep the conversation going. We love your feedback and invite you to share your thoughts about this conversation. Also, we'd appreciate your review and five-star rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Share your thoughts through email at smartcounselpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash smartcounselpodcast. Please consider supporting this podcast with a financial donation through patreon.com slash smartcounsel. Our theme music is by Trent Price. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. Thanks again for listening, and let's keep the conversation going.